You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about annotated books and interviewing writer and scholar Anthony Oliveira. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I'm reading. I know you're very excited about this book. Yeah, I actually got up early today. We, I got up. I was supposed to get up at 8 today, but I got up at 7.30 so I could almost finish it. I didn't quite get through it. Um, the new Seanan McGuire In an Absent Dream, which is from the Every Heart of Doorway series. Mm-hmm. It's the last one. I'm going to say, if you've read the series, you should definitely pick up this book. If you haven't read the series, you could still pick up this book. It actually has no... You don't need any prior knowledge to read this one. So if you haven't read the series, The Wayward Children series, I love. It's about basically children in the sort of post-Narnia world. Like like if they you go to like a Narnia place and you come back and you're like, no, I belong in that magical place. And you have trouble, children who have trouble adjusting back to this real world. Because some of them have been there for years and years. And some of them, it's just like too oh, magical. And so now they're pissed if now, I had to come back. I know. And they're all pissed and they all have to live in this house together. So this book in particular... In an Absent Dream is about a, I'm just going to kind of read from the back, but it's about a very serious girl who ends up in this, in the goblin market. And it's basically her paradise because it's a world found on logic and reason. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So she's really into it. And then she keeps going kind of back and forth and it's sort of about what she gives up. And I'm almost at the very end and I don't know which world she's going to stay in. And it's, oh, it's so fantastic. And it's, it sounds like a children's book. It's not. It's much darker than that. I would not suggest it for your children. I don't think they could read it. Handle. It's very, very dark. Um, but it it does have a lot of kids stuff in it. So it's super fun. I love the series. I'm obsessed with it. What are you reading, Mallory? Uh, so I feel like this is like the third episode in a row I've talked about David Lynch. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm really obsessed with David Lynch. It's just a thing. Uh, so I'm reading uh, Room to Dream. Okay. Uh, oh, we're both reading Dream Books. Um, but uh, so it's Room to Dream by David Lynch and Christine McKenna. Uh, so it's David Lynch's memoir, co-written with Christine McKenna, and it's a really interesting way to do a memoir. So it, it like switches off, like one chapter is all. So Christine McKenna is a journalist and a writer, and she's been friends with David Lynch for a really long time. And she went around to like all David Lynch's um, family members, his ex-wives, friends, childhood friends, and started like piecing together his life story through all these stories from the people who care about him. And then the chapter after that is like his own reflections about those stories and his own personal memories. Uh, it's really good. I love it. Obviously, this is a book that you would probably only read if you're obsessed with David Lynch. Like <laughs> I am. The pictures are really great. Um, I love because you know what? Recently, we just did an episode recently where I talked about how the only time I never listen to hear characters voices in my head when I read Unless I'm reading David Lynch talking, then I hear it in his David Lynch voice, <laughs> and it makes me it makes me laugh really hard. Uh, I love it. Uh, but if you are a David Lynch fan, if you're a Twin Peaks fan, um, definitely recommend it. It's really it's 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 just like a deep, very deep dive into his his life story. So it's very like for a specific type of person who's very interested in like what kind of mud did David Lynch like playing in when he was a kid. But if you're like me and you want to know that, definitely recommend it. Magical mud. So mine is In an Absent Dream by Shauna McGuire. And mine is Room to Dream by David Lynch and Christine McKenna. 
So we're going to take a moment to answer a recommendation request. Uh, Caitlin writes in, my main issue is that somehow I got it in my head that the only books quote unquote worth reading for me personally are classics, including and especially sci-fi classics and nonfiction. Your podcast has definitely helped me start to get over this prejudice, but my TBR list still tends in that direction. I'm really looking for more fun books. Page turners, funny is always a plus that can help introduce me or get me further into genres I'm not as well acquainted with. My favorite books recently have been uh, The Martian and Artemis by Andy Weir and Stations 11 by Emily. St. John Mandel, which I, I know you've mentioned in the past. It's not that I don't like the genres I kind of currently tend to read. It's just that I feel like I'm missing out on so many books for being so narrow. Uh, so yay, Caitlin. I'm really glad you're branching out. All genres are worth reading. I'm glad that you're getting that message from the show. We don't, no book shame here. Every genre is, is worth it and, and noble and a, a good genre. Um, my recommendation for you is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Uh, I know it's gigantic. It's almost a thousand pages, but trust me, you're going to love this book. And this is the book I went through something like this, um, similarly, uh, a few years ago where I was like, I'm only reading horror books. I really need to branch out. And I was like, I've never read a Western and my friend Liberty Hardy, uh, of the, all the books podcast is always going on about how much she loves, uh, Lonesome Dove. So I was like, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to try, I'm going to like kick off Westerns with a bang. This is like one of the biggest Westerns, like both, uh, fame wise and physically it's very big. And, um, it's a book that convinced me that I could be really wicked into Westerns. Mm. I loved Lonesome Death so much when it's one of those books that it's a thousand pages long, but when you're done, you're like, I, I need a, I need a thousand more pages. That was too short. It's so compelling. It's so funny, weirdly funny. Um, in trigger warning for sexual assault, if that's something that bothers you, skip this book. Uh, but I definitely love this and it got me in reading more Westerns and totally, uh, opened the genre for me. Bria, what should Caitlin read? Um, I like the books she's reading right now. I think Bria's they're like, just awesome. keep reading sci-fi. Like, what are you doing? And I literally like started recommending more sci-fi and then I was like, no, she says she's trying to get away from that. So I was thinking about maybe a cool memoir. Yeah. Because she's not reading memoirs. Um, my first thought is Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. Uh, maybe just because my friend is in my house reading it right now, and I was like, oh, that's a great book. I should recommend that book. But also, maybe some of your favorite classic writers have memoirs. Oh, That could be smart. an interesting thing to look into. So someone you like may have written an essay collection or something like that. I know um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin has one. So there's there's people who have definitely have little um, essay collections or memoirs. So maybe look into that and and other people you like because I think that could be something that will definitely have you branch out and they're usually easy to read kind of yeah. fun you know very short cool books that's awesome yeah yeah. so you can always email us your recommendation requests at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com and before we talk about annotated books we're going to take a quick break Guys, today I have to talk to you about Simple Contacts. I have used Simple Contacts in the past. I used it before they were a sponsor of our show I liked Simple Contacts before they were cool, but now they're very cool. So let me tell you something. Support for Reading Glasses comes in part today from Simple Contacts, a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder contacts from anywhere in minutes. Need to renew your prescription? Take a five-minute vision test from your phone or computer. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor. You receive a renewed one-year prescription and reorder your contacts. Have an unexpired prescription? Just upload a photo or your doctor's information and order your lenses. Guys, I love Simple Contacts. It's so easy to use. I don't like going into the doctor. It takes time out of your day. You got to get in the car. You got to drive to the doctor. You got to go through the whole rigmarole. And you guys know how it works. All you have to do is do it on your phone. It's so easy. It's so simple. That's why it's called Simple Contacts. I can't talk about them enough. I think they're really amazing. 
This isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Just letting you know. But you can get $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash reading or just enter the code reading at checkout. I promise you, you're going to love using this. You won't be disappointed. The news today is terrible, so why not forget about it while listening to Jonah Radio uh, with Cash Hartzell. Hey, everybody. Featuring Neil Mahoney. Also me. This is a podcast where we play music submitted by uh, listeners. We hang out, we listen to new tunes, and uh, we take submissions at Jonah Radio, R-A-Y-D-I-O, at gmail.com. Come and check us out. We're here anyway. Yeah, we'll yeah. be here. So, and that's it. Back to your regularly scheduled uh, podcast. So this week, it's all about annotated books. What the hell does that even mean? Why would you want an annotated book? Well, did you read the Hamilton book and you love the little notes and comments in the margins done by Lin-Manuel Miranda? Then you're into annotated books. So an annotated book is an edition of a book that that includes comments in the margins that explain what something means or refers to, it illuminates a theme, or it adds context. Anybody can annotate a book. If you read a book in college and added a bunch of your thoughts in the margins, you've annotated it. Most annotated editions of books are classics, and the annotator is a scholar or a historian or a writer. Some of the comments are really short. Sometimes it's a whole page. And a lot of books that were written years, decades, or centuries ago contain language, words, references, or other cultural touchstones that don't make any sense to a current reader. So if you're reading a classic book or even rereading it, it can really add to the reading experience if those things are explained. Like, if there's an old book you love, search for it with the word annotated and see if there's an annotated version. And you can get so much more out of that book if you, that you didn't realize the first time you read it. Yeah. Uh, Bri, have you ever read an annotated book? No. When you talked about doing this episode, I was like, that sounds cool. No idea what it is, but I'm down. Let's just do it. <laughs> and so this is a totally new idea to me, and I think it's really fascinating, especially because I feel like, you know, in college or in high school, you're not really reading. I wasn't reading annotated books, books but I was expected to understand, like, these, these annotated idea of them. Like, yeah. oh, this was culturally relevant at the time for this reason, yeah. or this is what was happening Whatever. I mean, I have a degree in American studies, so that's, you know, basically all we did. But I had never heard of this idea of reading a book that was annotated for me. Oh, it's So, like, fantastic. what a fascinating, cool thing. I don't, know, I don't know if I've ever read one. Maybe I have, and I just, like, am not realizing you can it. borrow one from me. Well, maybe I should. Because uh, they sound really cool. What, uh, about, what about you? Yeah. So, unsurprisingly, I have a lot of annotated versions of horror classics, uh, like Dracula. I love them. Uh, like we were just talking about, like sometimes you don't even, you know, you're reading a classic book and you might not even notice it. That's the interesting part for me is like there, sometimes there'll be references and you're like, I have no idea what this means. Like right. a singer that was popular or a newspaper, or like, you know, just a joke. I wonder if we're going to have an annotated books like that comes for a book that comes out now that it has to explain like memes. Oh yeah, that's great. I mean, the one thing that, um, just a sidebar that our guest talked about in in our interview in a second is that it's like a little bit like the pop-up videos, you know? Like, I loved that reference because it was like, oh, yeah, things are explained, like, as you go, which is fantastic. Yeah, and you, mi- you miss more stuff than you 
think. And it's mm-hmm. really, it makes the book feel more, you feel like you're just getting it more. You feel like you're getting a deeper level of understanding because you're understanding the time and the place in what it was happening. Um, so I love them. I also really recommend reading Annotated Shakespeare. Uh, if you're intimidated by Shakespeare because you think you won't understand it because of the language, uh, you won't get all the jokes, you won't get the references, you're not alone. I felt the same way about Shakespeare for a while. I totally hear you. Um, I love Shakespeare now. I really love reading annotated versions of Shakespeare. The first one I ever read was, um, incidentally, my favorite Shakespeare is Midsummer Night's Dream, and it was an annotated version of it. And like, so in the margins, it had all these like, oh, well, this word means this. This line is a joke because this thing happened at the time. Yeah, I do. I remember when I was in high school, we read, um, which is the one that has I bite my thumb at you. Whatever. We read. I remember we reading Shakespeare in in high school, and uh, there is a part where they in one of the plays where they say, "I where one of them goes, I bite my thumb at you, sir." And I remember everyone in class was like, "What does that mean?" And the teacher was like, "Oh, that was like an insult back then." And then we felt like, see, we were so knowledgeable, and then we kept biting our thumbs at each other for the rest of the day. <laughs> so it was like, not only did we learn a new insult, but we learned some knowledge as yeah. well. That's that's what I love about reading annotated books because it's like all the best stuff about English class without any of the bad stuff. It's like no homework. Or what's anything. the bad? Oh, I was like, what's the bad stuff of English class? Homework. Homework. People un- uncomfortable, like 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 dissecting sentences, uncomfortable chairs, mm. annoying people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's like so it's it's really it's like you know you get all the cool knowledge. Uh, so and our friends over at Norton, uh, they publish a lot of annotated versions of classics like Peter Pan, Little Women, Sherlock Holmes, Wizard of Oz. Also, just shout out, this This would make a really good present for somebody or for yourself. If you've got a friend or relative that doesn't know what to get you, but you don't want to hand over your TBR list that's like 15 miles long, it's like the size of a CVS receipt, you ask for an annotated version of a book that you absolutely love. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And there's annotated books of classic comic books, like The Watchmen, which is amazing. I mean, and I think that there should be. I love to think about the books that are coming out now that people will annotate, yeah. you know, in like 20 years. There's also annotated audiobooks, too. Oh, cool. So there's a uh, uh, no, no matter how you read, there's going to be some sort of annotated versions of books. How do they do the annotated audiobooks? I don't know. I'm gonna have to listen to one. Yeah, because well, they they're like read a sentence and they're like, hold on, this is the annotated part. Like, how do they differentiate it? You I'm know, assuming it's like footnotes. Oh yeah. So when I listen to the Eddie Izzard audiobook, uh, he has a lot of footnotes in his book, um, and he would be like footnote, and then like tell a little joke. I bet someone would be like annotation. This word means this. Have you ever listened to any of the Mary Roach? Audiobooks? No. She's a lot of photos. Yeah. That's weird. I've never listened to Mary. I don't know why. Maybe because I just like the reading experience. Yeah, it's a good reading experience. I love on the Kindle right now. This is total, total side note. But on the Kindle, you can press on the footnote button and it just shows it to you. And you don't have to flip to the back of the chapter. It's pretty great. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so you can send uh, your thoughts on annotated books to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. Before we talk to Anthony Oliveira about his podcast, The Devil's Party, which is like a podcast version of an annotated Paradise Lost, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Who do you think's hotter? Captain America or Juggernaut? If my boyfriend won't watch Handmaid's Tale with me, should I break up with him? Is this meme already dead? What exactly are furries? I need a new Four Quadrant song. Any suggestions? For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable show with me, Guy Branham. Winter Mitchell. Margaret Wappler. And Karen Tongson. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to judge.
So here we are with writer, culture critic, and academic Anthony Oliveira. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. So Anthony, what are you reading right now? Oh my God. Okay. Well, you guys have like caught me just as I'm coming back from the Toronto Comic Arts Festival. So I'm in the middle of quite a lot of like graphic novel stuff. Um, And actually I'm supposed to be starting my own graphic novel. thing. so I guess the thing at the top of my list is Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. I don't know if you guys have read that. Oh my gosh. It's like, as soon as you, as soon as you read it, you never read a comic the same way again. Um, So I'm reading that. Uh, I'm reading Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang, which is amazing. I saw her at a panel at TCAF and I was like, oh my God, I need this book. Um, I'm reading Molly Osterhag's uh, Witch Boy, which is like a great little story about um, sort of about the trans experience, but pitched at kids. So it like is about a, a person who whose gender presentation does not match their magical powers. <laughs> um, and I'm reading uh, The Odyssey, the new translation by Emily Wilson, which is like my go-to end of the night reading. Are you guys reading this? Actually, my partner is reading that right now. Oh my God, it's so good. It's just like, and she's such a pleasure online. Like she's constantly tweeting, like, why did she choose this word and not this word? And what is the interesting choice that that makes? So um, I'm in love with it. It's so amazing. That sounds awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, The Devil's Party? Sure. Uh, The Devil's Party started life as I finished my uh, dissertation in English literature about a year ago now. Um, And I started thinking about what came next. And what I found is that there's a lot of people who want to read Paradise Lost, and there is not um, a lot of good readings of Paradise Lost, and there's not a lot of good access to those readings. Um, Milton study moves. Milton studies moves very slowly. It is a very conservative field. It's not like Shakespeare studies. You have to know a lot of languages and read a lot of other things, whereas Shakespeare was himself not a big reader. So um, I thought it would be useful to give people a way to read this text that is sort of at the apex of the ivory tower um, in a way that I thought would be fun. And also it was important to me that it was a way that was queer because uh, part of that conservatism of Milton studies is that uh, he is not read, I think, the way he should be read. He is very interested in gender dynamics and in gender fuck and in gender queer. Um, He was himself, his nickname was the Lady of Christ College because of his sort of uh, androgynous uh, gender presentation in college. Um, and I, and that all of that is sort of in the text and no one ever talks about it. And if you have some dusty professor reading Paradise Lost, it is very easy to miss. So I wanted to give people access to the text um, in a way that was fun and in a way that was queer. And also for very selfish reasons that would help me with my own creative work, which is literally just to lift the cosmology out of Paradise Lost and steal it for my own new creative writing. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> this whole episode is about annotated books, reading annotated books. Why do you think it's important to like read annotated versions of classics? I think that I think that there is a bad notion of annotation that annotation will um, be the frame that tells you what the text is really about. Uh, and to me, annotations are actually a glimpse of a moment in the history of the annotation. They sort of become part of the palimpsest of the text. Like even even the work I'm doing in Paradise Lost is not to explain Paradise Lost, but to make it useful to someone now. And that to me is what an annotation does. An annotation says, this is how a, a person, a people at a specific moment in history read this text. And to me, the more willing to be idiosyncratic, the more willing to be personal an annotation is, the more interested I am in it. I'm fascinated by... 
marginalia, even going back to like monks doodling in the margins of their <laughs> of their Bibles to like actors performing Shakespeare. I love to see like Anthony Sher has this amazing edition of his production of King Lear where he's just like compulsively drawing pictures and making notes in the margins. I love stuff like that. And that to me is what a good annotation is doing. Uh, my favorite my favorite annotation of all time is Isaac Asimov's annotation of Paradise Lost because <laughs> there's a moment in it where, yeah, it's amazing. There's a moment in it where he's he realizes, okay, this angel just moved from the sun to the earth in 12 hours and he count, he like calculates the airspeed velocity of a, an angel uh, <laughs> in the margins, yeah. <laughs> so that to me is like what a good annotation does. So are there any other books that you would love to read annotated? Um, I have always wished for a good annotated copy of um, The Lord of the Rings. I'm sort of obsessed with Tolkien as a, I say on the podcast sometimes that Tolkien is the best reader of Paradise Lost who never actually wrote about Paradise Lost. So much of his cosmology, uh, so much of the way he thinks is sort of this like, whatever he was, very strange, a Catholic, a Catholic who's part of a denomination of one, um, is sort of always interlaid and imbricated in his text, but never brought to the surface. And there's like, there's lots of people who can tell you like, oh, this is a reference to this in the Silmarillion, but I would really love an, an annotation that like thinks about the theology and thinks about his relationship with his wife and his kids and like his relationship to history at the time, his own sort of weird, angry resentment about allegory, even as his text is so often so nakedly allegorical. So I would love to see a good version that did that. So are there any other like annotations that exist that you would recommend? Um, oh, uh, well, one I read recently that I really liked, and this goes back to what I was saying about sort of idiosyncrasy and sort of preserving the personal response. Bill Bryson did a, um, a sort of reading, like sonnet by sonnet reading of Shakespeare's sonnets. And it, he is very explicit in the introduction that like, listen, I wrote some of these entries while I was drunk. I wrote some of these entries while I was angry. Uh, just the way Shakespeare would have written the sonnets. So he does really good, like, okay, back then they pronounced this this way, and this rhyme scheme works like this, but he also is willing to be like, oh, Jesus, what a clunker, like when he doesn't like a sonnet, or <laughs> he's willing to be dismissive of them, he's willing to argue with them, he's willing to say, well, this one's just not very good. And I just, even though it's not the most comprehensive annotation, I always, every time I'm teaching a sonnet, I always see, I always look in that edition and see what, what Bill put in the margins, what he put at the bottom of the page for each sonnet. That's my fave. I'd, I'd recommend that to anybody who's like looking to get into the sonnets, but uh, doesn't really know where to start. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to start to, to read them. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Do you think that there are any modern books that have come out recently that will be annotated in the future? Um, I am not good about being modern in general, as you can probably tell <laughs> in my days thinking about something from 400 years ago. But actually, more and more, I think that I think the things that need annotations are the things that are most ephemeral. And we are good about documenting book production now. We're very bad, I think, at documenting um, pop culture like television and film. I would love to start thinking about what models of that. I would like, what would it mean to annotate an episode of Friends? What would it mean to annotate an episode of Frasier or Buffy the Vampire? There are these items that are starting to date and the the uh, instantaneousness, the contemporaneity, 
com- contemporaneity of those moments is sort of passing. That's what I think we need is like, I don't even know what that would look like. Like maybe it is just, do you guys remember pop-up video? Like I think about that uh-huh. a lot. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember pop-up video. That was like my summers. I loved it. Yeah. So like something like that, like this is the episode of Friends that aired after 9-11 or like Dawn is where Dawn Summers is wearing a 12 in this episode. It doesn't mean anything like stuff like that, Mm -hmm. I think is maybe uh, the cell phone would not be invented for five years. Like (laughs) stuff like that references that maybe don't make sense anymore. Like sometimes I'll be watching 90210, which I didn't grow up watching. And I just don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And I think that's scholarship we need to take seriously. (laughs) I would very much watch a pop-up video Buffy, like in a heartbeat. That would be amazing. Oh my God. Like it's such a, it's a text that, because this was always the risk, right? The nineties were so obsessed with uh, self-referentiality and like talking about other things that were on. But if you're not living in those moments anymore, it's kind of hard to diagram all that. Like the molecular structure of what Buffy is saying from various moments is starting to date. And I would like someone to be like, here's what she's talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your reading life. Do you have any reading quirks you want to share, aside from the fact that you only read things 400 years old? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am trying to diversify these days. Actually, I just started working um, with a um, an LGBT bookstore in Toronto. So I am trying to read more contemporary uh, queer fiction right now. But I also have developed a lot of bad or weird habits in academia where I basically have a bookmark in 12 to 20 books at any given moment. And like, I will read three pages of each book at a time. There's literally my desk. I'm recording this atop a heap of books. Like when I was saying what I was reading, they're like under the microphone, each of them with like a little uh, bookmark. (laughs) I also am very fond of lying on my stomach on the couch with the book on the floor in front of me. That's like my Zen reading position. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. And I love a good cocktail. My cocktail experience is very important. Like a good last word. Have you ever had a last word? My favorite cocktail. Oh my gosh. They're so good. But you can have one and then you're drunk after 20. (laughs) Just tell me what it is. What is it? It's gin, maraschino liqueur, green chartreuse, and lime juice. Great. Yeah. And it just tastes so sweet. It's called a last word because you don't, it sneaks up on you. It's the last thing you have. (laughs) You don't realize how drunk you are. It's so oh my gosh I'm so I'm trying not to cocktail nerd on you right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm a big fan. So, is there a book that you love to give to people? Um, my favorite gift books. I mean, obviously, Paradise Lost, the greatest text ever written. Um, but also, <laughs> I love The Little Prince. I think it's oh. the, I think it's the greatest gift book. I think it's like it says so much of I every time. A sort of a neurotic tick. Every time I sign off Twitter in the evening, I tweet, be brave enough to be kind, which is my way of signaling I will be inactive for eight hours. <laughs> but as an ethos, I think so much of The Little Prince speaks to that. Um, and if I'm flirting with them, I usually give them Autobiography of Red by Ann Carson, which is nice. very, very hot and very good. Anyone who wants like good queer poetry, find Ann Carson. You've got If Not Winter and you've got Autobiography of Red. They're great. Oh, fantastic. So we're going to put a link to The Devil's Party in the show notes, but where can we find you online? Uh, If you type Mia, it's a terrible pun, but if you type Mia Koopa into anything, as in the (laughs) Latin pun, but also the thing that Mario stomps, so M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A, I have a lot of Catholic trauma, and I have a lot of Super Mario in my childhood. Uh, But Mia Koopa is my handle on most things, uh, and you can find me there. 
Awesome. awesome. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This was such a pleasure. Now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. This might be one of the most controversial uh, reader problems we've ever had. Uh, Laura writes in, I have a book life balance problem. I'm reading too much. Between maximum capacity overdrive holds list times two for two libraries, buying new releases, and a bit of a book addiction, I'm constantly reading. While I'm getting better at abandoning books, I feel like the ones I am reading are getting in the way of important, normal adult human things like personal projects, career advancement, and maybe this thing I've heard of called a social life. How does a person cut down on books and learn to just live a life? Bria, what what should they do? Oh, man. I mean, what's crazy is I feel like our normal questions are, how do I read all these books I have? But she's like, how do I quit reading all these books I have? Um... The problem is we do a reading podcast, so this is a very hard question for us. Mallory, I'm going to let you go first. Well, we, this is a reading life podcast. <laughs> so A reading slash life? Or, no, it's a reading, reading life. space life. Space life. Yeah. So well, space life is for you. <laughs> uh, so, Laura, I love this. I hear you. And I think, honestly, this is totally an issue. I've had issues with this. Uh, when I get sucked into books, I do, uh, do one of two things. I have some... Uh, some tips to help. One, I lean on audiobooks. Uh, that way, when I I can get my book time in, but I can also do things that like humans need to do, like working out and cleaning and stuff. Uh, so that way, you feel like. But like, I go through times when I am super super anxious, and literally all I want to do is read, and it's like a craving. Mm-hmm. And I will like not do other things. Like, oh, I'm like, oh, I should really. I'm behind on some writing stuff. I really should be writing right now, but I just really want to read. I really want to f- either find out what happens in this book. That hap- Like whenever I read a Tana French book, it ruins my life. I, so now I only read her on uh, vacations because I'm so desperate to find out what happens. It happened when I read Paul Tremblay's Cabin at the oh, End of yeah. the World. I, I missed someone. out on a night of writing because I couldn't put the book down. Uh, so also, so if I'm in a work crunch or I'm really busy and I have writing stuff to do, what I do is I have to set really intense boundaries. I set aside reading time or a whole day if you need to. Like Saturday, I'm going to be social all day. I have like someone's birthday party and I will like catch up with friends. I'll like set aside some time to answer texts, catch up on friends, catch, catch up on friends or work all day, write all day, get all the stuff I need to work, need to get done, done. But then I get to read all day Sunday or I'll devote some extra time to writing today, but from 8 p.m. on is reading time. Like, as soon as 8 hits, then I can read free reign. That is special reading time. So, like, setting boundaries, it, like, really, really helps with that. And I'm, Or I can make a to-do list, and once I've gotten everything done, I can read to my heart's content. So I'm always really, really busy, but once I've got my shit done for the day, it's game on for books. And it make, helps me balance it a little, little, little bit. What do you think, Bria? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on this. I mean, I... Look, I don't think, like, you learn that much in a lot of schooling, but I I mean, you do it sometimes. But the one thing you learn is that, like, this is the time you have to go and do math. This is the time you have to go and do this thing. And, like, that was, like, having a schedule is very helpful to a lot of people, me especially as well. Uh, Like you, I, like, kind of schedule out my entire day. Um, and I do in my schedule schedule out like life stuff like I will be like and this is the time I'm going to go take a yoga class this is the time I'm going to go to the gym and you know you can reward yourself if you go do that stuff by scheduling reading time after those things yeah you know go to party and then come home and you can read and so I think what you're saying is good like kind of a like maybe she needs to put herself on like a social schedule yeah you know oh totally I mean I'm busy enough where I've gotten to the point where like unless you're like one of five people that I talk to constantly because of like work stuff or like my two best friends. I'm that person that like responds to texts like once a week. Yeah. 
I, I don't respond to emails very often either. But which I think is fine. But I yeah. actually will I actually put in my schedule respond to emails. Like I yeah. try to do it like once or twice a week where I just know that I'm gonna respond to emails unless it's like and you then know. I get book time afterwards. I'm like, all right, Saturday. I do this with the fan mail for the show. I only mm-hmm. can, I don't, like, we get so much fan mail that I, I uh, you know, respond to it once a week or once every two weeks. And then I'm like, all right, it's four hours and I'll respond to all the fan mail. And then I get to read for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, just give yourself, just block off some time. Can't have, I can't have reading anarchy. You gotta just, you gotta, you gotta parse it out. Yeah, which I, I mean, I, I understand this issue. I understand. Look, when you like doing something, it's hard to not just do that all the time. I think people have this problem with, like, video games. Oh, yeah. People have this problem with a lot of stuff they like to do. Hers just happens to be something that is, like, kind of good for you. So it's, like, hard to be like, no, don't do it. No, I, and I, honest to God, I have the same issue because I'm a super workaholic. And my the things that I like doing most are working and reading. Right. And because those are both, like, productive things that are good for you, when you are really almost addicted to them, it's hard to, A, tell yourself to stop and, B, for other people to tell you to stop because it's not like you're like doing heroin yeah. you're doing good things so it, it's a like the the byproduct of it is good so it it's harder to say no to it and also i i want to say it it does help that like a my two best friends read all the time the person the person who isn't my best friend that i see most often is you and we talk about books all the time <laughs> and my partner alan like one of our favorite things to do together is read together. So I've also sort of curated my life, yeah. And that like a lot of my social time is books and bookish, yeah. like book related. So maybe Laura, you need to like have a, find some friends where you can have a silent reading party. Like maybe you can cross over your social life with some book time. Or maybe a little find bit. some friends who like hiking. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> like find some friends who like things that don't involve reading. I mean, like I think if this is a true uh, addiction, oh, you're gonna enough. have to find people who are not doing the thing that you're addicted to, and okay. people you like. You know, like I mean, don't yeah, don't find people that you hate, but they like to hike, and you're like, these people suck, but I'm getting out of the house. Like I love TV. I love watching television, but I a lot of times limit myself to my TV watching to when I'm at the gym. I can only watch it when I'm working out. So, like, that's, that's like smart. a, it's like a, what do you call it? It's a positive reinforcement, reinforcement or something? Yeah. That's probably not what that's called. I don't know what it's called. But but I think something along those lines, like, lines you can, or, like, you could listen to an audiobook while on a walk. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, they, like just, like, combining things so you get rewarded or something, or you reward yourself afterwards. See, this is, I'm not the person to ask because I'm, like, just... You're like, figure out how what's to, the problem here? Figure out how to read more. We go find her, and she's just under a pile of books that she's been reading for. Now. I mean, I relate to that pretty heavily. <laughs> uh, but it, no, it is good. And one of the Alan and I do this thing where, like, we we came to the conclusion a few months ago. This is a really long answer, but it's no, I feel it's like this saying. is very personal for us. Um, if left to our own devices, Alan and I will not leave the house, and mm-hmm. we will just sit and read with cats. Maybe Alan will play video games sometimes, but, like, that's mostly, like, all we want to do. So we got a tote bag and wrote a bunch of activities that were always, like, you know, everyone has, even if you're not a couple, if you're by yourself and you're like, oh, there's this thing that I always want to do. Or you're like, I love horseback riding. And someone's like, when's the last time you did it? You're like, oh, five years ago. Yeah. So we wrote down all those activities on a piece of paper. And then every weekend we pull one out and we're like, all right, we're going to go do this. It was funny because the first one we did was reading. (laughs) <laughs> why would you even put that in the tote bag well our goal was we were gonna go read outside and did you yes oh okay uh but i like reading outside like reading in a park is cool yeah just shake it up a little bit go like no, i think i think she really needs to do something that's not reading yeah, okay you're right i'm sorry like i just like if this go is a horseback true riding more <laughs> yeah like uh like uh go volunteer somewhere go mm-hmm. like you know because then you'll feel like you're accomplishing she something. can read to people in the hospital <laughs> she could 
She could read to puppies. I'm just going to say maybe, like, it shouldn't have to do with reading. You're right. You're right. I also have an addiction. Laura, don't listen to me. <laughs> I also have a problem. It's really bad. I'm not trying to discourage reading. This is a reading fucking podcast. Obviously, we're trying to encourage reading. Can, can that be, like, the After Dark version? Reading fucking glasses. <laughs> Uh, so if you want us to solve your reader problem, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group, and all of our other mods, too. There's not It's not just Danielle. Um, thank you. to We have such a great Facebook group, and everyone is so active, and the people who help keep it uh, a safe and organized place are fantastic, and we really, really appreciate you, and also Christine and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us. It helps us reach more readers. We're almost at like 375 reviews. Oh my God, really? Yeah. I haven't looked. Ooh, let's get to like 400. If we can get to to 400 reviews, guys, we'll do something special. Yeah. We don't know what it is yet, but we'll do it. We'll do it. We're We're going to do it. Seriously, it takes. Everyone gets a free book. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we know that it's kind of a pain because you have to search for it under Apple Podcasts. It really is a pain. But I try to, I've gotten to where I've started trying to review podcasts I really like because I'm like, oh, now I know how much it actually does help. Guys, it helps us so much. Advertisers look at our reviews to see how many reviews we have and if, like, the like that's how we help feed our cats with our advertiser money also when we're trying to get guests some people will look at how many reviews we have and if we don't like if we have a lot they're like oh wow this show is clearly popular i will want to be on there so if you want to see more cool guests please take the take the 30 seconds and, and review us or rate us on itunes it really makes such a huge difference so you can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at reading g podcast on instagram at reading glasses podcast and you can always follow along on our bucket adventures using the general hashtag reading glasses podcast thanks for listening and thanks for reading call a jack a jack call a spade a spade but always call a whore a lady their lives are hard enough and it never hurts to be polite Patrick Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.